Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Renegade Pop Culture Network's Free For All. This is your host, Kiona, and with me tonight, I have Josh. Hey, what's up? And I have Crystal. Hello. And I have Jacob. What's up? All right, guys, so we have some loose topics that we're going to follow tonight, uh, starting with the some of the movies that we've been watching. Jacob, I know you're a movie guy, so what have you been seeing lately? Well, I've been watching a lot of VOD movies um, in preparation for the next Stream Awards we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, such movies include uh, You Should Have Left with Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried and Irresistible, the um, political satire movies written and directed by Jon Stewart and starring Steve Carell, Rose Byrne, and Chris Cooper. Sweet. Yeah, I do want to see uh, Irresistible because that looks cool. And plus it's Jon Stewart and everybody loves Jon Stewart. So yeah. what did you think? Give us your opinion. Since you're the guy who's kind of seen this, I think I saw The Assistant, but I haven't seen anything else yet. Well, um, you should have left. Um, just uh, long story short, it was just really generic. But it, it had a lot of potential. There were some genuinely good scares. There's some good scenes in it, but I saw the twist coming a mile away. Uh, <laughs> irresistible. I thought it had enough bites um, to make it entertaining, it, it was a surprisingly insightful actually it was a very thought-provoking piece of like how involved money is in politics and how hard the politicians pander to the working class and such hmm. interesting very yeah that's true i mean they they pretty much do yeah well they pander to everybody but especially the working class yeah would yeah, you recommend that personally yeah i would the birds work for the bourgeoisie all right and then um the assistant what was your take on that it was a very hard-hitting movie i gotta say the assistant it was a movie that um it's a it's a very somber very serious i don't want to get too much into this um until we do the streaming wars one but um, right right it's a very hard movie to watch both in its pacing and also in what it presents Mm mm-hmm yeah, I thought it was it was very interesting and it was very methodically paced. I exactly. felt like I was watching this this poor person suffer through their job. And I was just like, you know, it reminded me of when my family and I um, used to own like a janitorial service. So I know how it feels to be like the early hours of the morning before everybody comes into the office and how you have to just clean everything up. And, and basically that's sort of part of what she did in the movie and i just felt bad for her the whole time that's yeah that was my takeaway from the movie was just i just felt really bad for this poor person and and crystal since you're the feminist of this um group um you're gonna have to hopefully you'll be able to voice your opinions in the next uh, streaming wars that we do you're you're, you're the opinionated one now it's funny because i wouldn't even consider myself a feminist oh i feel really bad because i was thinking wait the movie didn't even look that serious, and I realized I wasn't thinking of the assistant. I was thinking of the intern with Robert De Niro oh. and Anna. Oh, yeah. No, completely different movie. <laughs> I was like, wait, what the <laughs> fuck? Did, did, is this just a 180? Did, did the marketing screw over that movie? <laughs> um, Crystal, I kind of thought you were a feminist after you gave that, um, um, that, to- that rant uh, against uh, Ernie Klein and that free- last year for all we did. Which I swear to God, I promise you, the the listeners, 
you will hear that. I will will it into existence. I will fight <laughs> tooth and nail. I will spit shine the, the Adobe Premiere Pro and, and an audition and whatever. I will work my magic because that... I honestly feel like that was one of our best episodes. Yeah. yeah. Like that really showed us at our in our personalities and stuff that, yeah. you know, like I, I feel like tonight we're kind of doing a filler episode tonight. So, you know, everybody's a little bit more mellow right now, but um, I, can get, I can get absurd. We can get a little rowdy. We can get a little I, rowdy I can get rowdy end, about so, some yeah. things. Just give me a bit. I got some topics. I, how I about this? How, how about The Last of Us 2 getting a 30,000 signature petition to change the plot of the game? That makes me angry. You know, as if the the people that work at Naughty Dog didn't suffer enough. Yeah, what, do you want them to go back and crunch some more? Is that what you want? It's so ridiculous. Like, not only are you missing the entire point of the story and the game itself, you're also, imagine the workload to go back and remake a game. I, it's like those people that said remake episode eight, and then they went ahead and they, they did the petition and everything, and they were like, we're so going to do it. And yeah. it ended up just not materializing because you can't do it. That dude uh-huh. that made that initial Indiegogo or whatever to get money for it probably made out like a fucking bank robber. Like, holy shit. Cause I remember there was actual money. There was. Put into yeah, did that. he give it all back? <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, I actually, I remember in 2016, um, someone tried to get a petition to... um cancel Rotten Tomatoes because they kept giving the DC movies bad reviews. Oh, yeah. Mm. Here's a good reason. Maybe the movies just sucked. Alright. I, I, guys, I gotta um, I, I gotta read um, the um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, the petition of it. It's a, a change.org don't listen to film. Uh, or, or, or no, this is the right one. Um, shit there's like two of them hold on um the critics are just people who write their personal opinions not professional opinions it's not a measure of quality of the movie so it shouldn't be important to aggregate it and calculate the movie scores from this unprofessional opinions because that affects the opinions of many people around the world and the movie scores <laughs> and like it affects the greatest superhero movies franchises negatively the dc films man of steel Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Justice League, because of the unjust reviews. Wow. That leads me to something. That that leads me to something I need to tell you guys about, which I hope you guys... Kiona, have you been on Twitter lately? Uh, I try to avoid it like the plague. That is a smart move. I am not a smart man, so (laughs) I am aware of this. Um, There is a fan cut of Shazam. They can't see it, but there's a fan cut of Shazam that's apparently going to be released. Somebody said, my fan cut of Shazam will finally be available on July 20th, and it says this. There's an actual list for changes from the theatrical cut. New music and a brand new score. A fresh (laughs) new color palette. Removed humor. Quippy one-liners. A darker tone. A post a post credit scene which links to Suicide Squad, added scenes which weren't present in the theatrical cut, a true Man of Steel cameo with the eyeball emojis, like, and additional VFX. 
and this came with a trailer, which I cannot show the viewers, but it oh, is no. the worst fucking thing I have ever seen in my life. What did he do? Did he repurpose footage from the other films or something? He, he basically went into Shazam and ran it through a, 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 a color grading software. For all I know, he probably did it in Premiere Pro. And he basically saturated the color to an absurd degree that it looks borderline unwatchable. Is, is it uh, the dreaded blue, uh, teal and orange? It is worse than that. It is, okay, imagine if the scenes in Shazam were, were color corrected like the scene where Superman goes to Mexico. Oh. Oh. And yeah. oh, uh, 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 when... Oh, no. And when Bruce looks at his bat suit and he gives that scowl, that is basically what it looks like. And it is the worst cut trailer I have ever seen. And the, the insult to all of this, this dumbass, in his initial post talking about it, he actually had the balls to tag David F. Sandberg with mm -hmm. the sole purpose of being like, can't you see? This is what it could have been if it was under Zack Snyder's vision, which, look, if you, res if you respect Zack Snyder's vision, I understand that. One of my closest friends, Gwen, is a, is a big fan of Zack Snyder. She's doing a big video on Zack Snyder. Ew, I'm looking at it. But even she's like, this is overkill. You are not doing yourself any favors saying that you respect director's visions. Oh, God! It's so orange! <laughs> Crystal is seeing it right now. I'm muting it for, for your guys' pleasure. But... Does it look like Green Lantern movie with Ryan Reynolds? Oh my God, it does. <gasps> it does. That's perfect. Oh, okay. oh my God! That literally... It's all teals and oranges. Don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of... Now. Okay, okay, if you're curious, <laughs> all curious, just go to Twitter and look yeah, up... Yeah, I'm searching. Yeah, look up Shazam Fan Cut. And just go to the guy, uh, Ronnie OG's thing, which it's funny because under his bio, he has Respect Art. Ah, uh, yes, because this is Respect Interesting. <laughs> the guy has like 457 followers, so that would be my guess as to why. And he has two crowns in his, uh, in, in his, in his Twitter name. Godzilla Mendoza yeah. is the real OG for saying, really oh, no. respecting the director's vision there. Zach would be proud. I roll emoji. It's um, very, it is very orange. You know what this all reminds me of, guys? It reminds me of when um, some guy made uh, an edit of Avengers Endgame where he just basically removed Brie Larson from it. Like, it was like every time, what? Every time that Brie Larson was on screen, it was like an extreme close-up. Or, you know, they just don't bother. They don't show how um, Tony made it back to Earth and the ship. Um, when, when they ambush Thanos, it's like extreme close. You have no idea who's choke-holding him. The scene where um, the Hulk talks with um, the Ancient One to give him the Time Stone, he just basically walks up to her, out, and then she just hands it hands it to him. What was wrong with the Ancient One? Because she was a strong female character. 
Okay, that I don't agree with. The whole getting rid of B Brie Larson, that I kind <laughs> of agree with. <laughs> oh, come on. She's taking me to the podcast, people. No, no. Podcast no. before. I really liked Captain Marvel. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I just liked that okay, movie. Um, I thought it was good. Uh, and also, they try to make it less humor, uh, less humorous, and less jokes involving Fat Thor. Dude, if you could get rid of the Fat Thor stuff, I'd be with you. And if okay. you could, if you could kill Hawkeye off instead of Black Widow, I'd be with you. If if they could kill off the terrible Hulk dab scene. Oh. Oh, that, that too. That, that that would make Avengers. That was horrific. Rewatching it, that scene is so hard to watch. I actually don't mind any other scene with Professor Hulk, but that scene immediately takes the film from a nine out of ten to a seven. <sighs> Jesus Christ! They did some things in that movie that I really, really did not like. I, I okay, well, back now. Well, let's let's save that. Let's save save all that. Okay, Can we I save? Need to... We'll save the end game criticisms to... for later. I need to, guys. I need to read I've, you a different. I've, I've made I made peace with it. I need to read you um a different version of that petition um to uh, get rid of Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, here's what it says. Okay, go for it. We need this site to be shut down because its critics always give the DC Extended Universe movies unjust bad reviews, like Batman v Superman, Donna Justice, Superman, and Suicide Squad, and that's a and that affects people's opinion, even if it's a really great <laughs> movies. It affects people's opinion? Even if it's a really great movies. It's a really great movies. A really great movies. A really great yeah. movie. Oh my god. Never knew something could be plural and singular at the same time. Look, I feel like there is a point where we should, we should definitely respect an artist's vision. But I think there's also something to be said when an artist's vision isn't widely loved by people. You can have a pure artistic expression from a big time blockbuster filmmaker and it can also be a failure. And where I take offense is when a filmmaker actively chooses not to improve their craft, not for the sake of getting more money, but for the sake of improving as an artist. I'm looking at you, Michael Bay, but... um. <laughs> There are some filmmakers where I think they bolster off the strength of their name alone and they refuse to take any criticism that could be levied their way. Zack mm. Snyder, I think, skirts that line, but I don't think he's necessarily a bad, like a good example of it. However, holy shit, the cult around his universe is so mind Yeah. I was talking with Francisco, a friend of mine who's going to be on the DC podcast one day. Mm -hmm. um, he compared Zack Snyder to Rennie Harlan. Hmm. And I totally understand what that means. For, for sake, Crystal, Rennie Harlan was a blockbuster filmmaker that's fucking nuts. He's like out there and crazy and his movies are wacky and wild. You can't say he's not visually unique, but his movies were so bad. And he was basically blacklisted from Hollywood after making one bad movie. It's a movie called Cutthroat Island. Oh, okay, oh. now I know what you're talking about. Okay, now that's that guy. Okay, now I know. That movie was a massive bomb. I, I know that much. And ever since then, people stopped giving him movies. Which yeah, I can see why. He was originally supposed to direct Alien 3. Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah. Lucky David Fincher. Hey, 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 hey. David Fincher was in a rock and a hard place. That dude, imagine you're given your first feature-length debut and they say, hey, you want to do a sequel to Aliens? I would say, fuck yeah, give it to me. I would say no. Really? That'd be fun, though. Not touching that one. If I was another original script, that would be amazing. It's like it's like the X Men for me. Like if somebody were to say, somebody were to say, "Hey, Kiona, let's have you go and take you know, do a do an X Men run for like, you know, twelve issues. Let's give you twelve issues, two story arcs on the X Men." I would say no, because um, I do not want to ruin the characters that I love. Simple as that. Stance. Hey, M. Night Shyamalan. At least he used to be a director who had a pretty hard time taking criticism, too. Hey, you know what? I think Shyamalan gets a bad rap. Oh, oh, do did. you? Because oh. you know what I'm going to say. Last Airbender, we can give him a lot of shit for. We can give him a lot of shit for that. I, I feel really, really, really bad because my dad wouldn't really... Uh, we would watch Avatar The Last Airbender in my room on the computer, so my dad never really watched it with us or even caught a couple sides of it. But when I watched, when we watched the movie, we had to watch it in the living room. So my dad did see a lot of that. And now that the kids are watching Korra in the living room, he's like, is that Ong? I'm like, fine. <laughs> what have I done? But, okay, okay. Like, yes, The Last Airbender is really bad. And the it's happening really is laughable. But I think on the whole, Shyamalan's movies aren't that bad and even if there's one that i don't really care for which is glass Mm -hmm. i'll admit i haven't seen that in a long time but i remember walking out of it going okay that wasn't for me but you know what i can't say that that was interfered by anything else that was pure Shyamalan to its core and you know what at least he got to tell the story he wanted to tell yeah um i'm just gonna um I'm just going to read you a little bit from the last Airbender's Wikipedia page, and you tell me if it sounds like someone who can take criticism. Okay. In a Vulture interview, Shyamalan argued that his style and art form of storytelling resulted in the negative reviews of the film and compared it to asking a painter to change to a different style. I bring as much integrity to the table as humanly possible. It must be a language thing in terms of a particular accent. A storytelling accent. I can only see it. See, it's this certain way, and I don't know how to think in another language. I think these are exactly the visions that are in my head, so I don't know how to adjust it without being me. Okay, I take personal offense to that. Okay, he also he also in another interview he he said basically compared his work to um Alfred Hitchcock, Stanley Kubrick, and Akira Kurosawa, saying that he's so very influenced by them. Okay, well, you can say you're influenced by them, but to say that your work is alongside them, I think even Steven Spielberg would take offense to would never compare his works to, say, David Lean. Uh, okay. <sighs> God damn it, Shyamalan. I'm trying to give you fucking credit. I still love you. He but... protests too much. Okay, look, The Visit's good. Split is amazing, I think. And Glass has good aspects. I think we can agree on that. Right? Didn't, yeah, okay. didn't, the visit, didn't the visit have an old lady screaming Yahtzee to a camera? <laughs> it's because she's a mental uh, patient. She's a psychotic mental patient that tried to force her kids into, her grandkids into an oven, her grandkids into an oven, and then threw her diaper at one of the kids. 
when you throw sanity out the table, anything's fair game. Oh my god, I am not making a good case for myself with this. <laughs> well, what were you okay? What were you trying to say, Josh? What were you? What was your point? My my point was that okay, Shyamalan does get a lot of hate, but I think he also belongs in that same group that I was talking about, where it's uh, you, you know, filmmakers that have their own style, their own unique way of making movies and everything. And you know what? I can appreciate that. And I also think it can be a hindrance if they don't listen to the criticisms of others. And for the most part, I feel like Shyamalan is self-aware enough to know the criticisms that are levied against him. Otherwise, I don't think he would have made the visit, which was as stripped down as the last airbender could possibly be. You know, going back to bare basics, indie filmmaking, and then going into Split, which is, okay, I got famous off of doing thriller movies, suspense movies. Let's go back to that. Let's see what I can do. And you know what? People really like Unbreakable. What if I sprinkle that in a little, too? Maybe people will, will appreciate it. And I'll say this. Glass was him trying to... Glass was him trying to, to try out new things that, you know, maybe it didn't succeed. But I appreciate that he tried to do something new. Mm. And I'm actually excited for his new movie that he's going to have... That he's going to start shooting next year. Remember when Shyamalan produced... Um this movie called devil and it was supposed to be yeah. the first part of a trilogy i remember um there's a story of um in the summer of 2010 this happened a lot where people would see would go to see scott pilgrim or inception and they would see the trailer to devil and they would and when m night Shyamalan's name came on they all laughed it was right after yeah. the last Airbender. well that was at the time when his reputation was way like oh yeah yeah you know yeah and when and Devil that infamously said that if your toast falls jelly side down, it's because the devil is near. You don't know that? No. Yeah, it was a it was a plot point in the movie because they're stuck in an elevator and they happen to have toast and jelly or no, like I think a security card had toast and jelly, and they flipped it in the air and it landed jelly side down. He's like, El Diablo. <laughs> and um. Wait, 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 is is this the movie where, like, it, it's, like, Final Destination, but in an elevator? Yeah. Oh, my yeah, God, basically. I watched that when I was a kid. You watched that? I was terrified of elevators because of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, um, remember Lady in the Water? Um, oh, Lady in the Water has to be the most pretentious freaking thing I've ever seen, because in that movie, he literally plays an author who's writing something that's going to save the world. Okay, every filmmaker has a point where they do something that's incredibly pretentious. And also, he has a, he has a, a movie critiquing eaten alive by a wolf. Every filmmaker has a movie where, they're, where they go full out with the pretension. Like Magnolia and Paul Thomas Anderson. I love that movie, but that is three hours and 12 minutes of people falling in love somehow being intertwined and then frogs fall out of the sky i love the movie okay. but i can acknowledge that sure. it is the most pretentious thing ever i don't know does paul thomas anderson play the world's greatest uh, author in that movie no but he comes out and gr he comes out in a cameo and grabs a billboard that has a bible quote on it okay fair enough which i think the bible quote related to the whole message of the movie too so it wasn't exactly subtle 
also on the Lady of the Water, it also had um a a little boy um predict the future an ancient civilization by looking at cereal boxes. Well, these all sound fascinating. After after kill after killing Ready Player One, the book in the in, in my video. Okay, you know what? I'm not exactly th- that. That's in the realm of realism for me now, where you can find the secrets to a billionaire's uh, Easter egg hunt by finding a whistle and a box of Captain Crunch. Of course, I found out one of my favorite English teacher, one of my favorite reading teachers, loves that book. And I thought back to a YouTube comment I saw on Quentin Reviews' video on the book Ready Player One, where they said, finding out your English teacher likes Ready Player One is like finding out your history teacher is a Holocaust denier. Oh, shit. Whoa. Like, it was intense. Like, it was, it was a hard... Oh, like, I, I don't oh, know about God. that. Well, I gotta say, though, before we move on, um, speaking of the pretentious Magnolia film, um, I have to say that whenever I fall in love, frogs fall out of the sky, too, so. <laughs> you know, I, you'd think I'd take the hint by now. This is something that happens. It's something that happens. I, 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 I'm sorry to everybody that I've ever fallen in love with. It's just, the frogs hit you in the face. I apologize. Shyamalan he actually is fundamentally a good director, I think. I think The Sixth Sense is still, it still holds up really well, that movie, The Sixth oh, Sense. Yeah. Unbreakable is a masterpiece, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What about Signs? Did you guys care for Signs? I watched it once, and I liked it, but I haven't had the will to watch it again. Nope. Nope. I remember Big. when I was Big a nope. kid, uh, my, my parents would always say, like, oh, you're not allowed to watch this movie because it's way too scary. And they would tell me, like, oh, yeah, when we, we went to go watch it in the theaters, uh, your, your mom left because it was that scary. And then my my cousin came up to me like, yeah, I watched it when I was little, and I was, I I I, I started crying. I had nightmares. I'm like, okay, so I was terrified of it, and I never watched it. And I grew up a little, and I watched it, and it was absolute garbage. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> like they're like, well, wait until the alien shows up. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Was that it? I know which scene they're probably talking about too. Was it the scene where Joaquin Phoenix is watching the TV? Yes, and then yes, the alien oh yeah. Warner. Yes, I'm like, oh, terrifying. He's just on a, he's just jogging. No, he was like, it wasn't even like he was pursuing the kids in the in the video. No, he was just he was just taking a Sunday stroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah kids just made him feel bad, you know. Yeah. He's very aware how he looks, okay? Spielberg's War of the Worlds is more terrifying oh, than... yes. I love yes. that movie. I that love that movie. movie. Yeah, that's a good movie. D- do you remember how dark that movie is? I, I yeah. know. That is up there with, like, my favorite Spielberg movie solely for the scene where fucking Tom Cruise kills Andy Dufresne. And he tells his, he tells his daughter to you oh, know put on the and start singing to herself, and it cuts to that shot where it's Andy. I know his real name. I don't remember his real name. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. Robbins like yeah. in real close up, and then the camera moves back, and you just see Tom Cruise as a silhouette in the background. Mm-hmm. He just pushes in on her. That is my one of my favorite Spielberg scenes, and that is so twisted and dark that I think, oh my god. This man made Tintin. 
<laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, transition. Segway, let's. Gosh. Segway. Okay, I just want to get away. Um, that I think the darkest moment in War of the Worlds is when after the first attack, um, when the tripod lands and it's zapping people, and Tom Cruise he comes back to his kids and he's actually covered in the dust of um yeah. the victims. That was wow. Seeing that after watching a Spielberg documentary on HBO where they talk about how that movie was Spielberg's commentary on 9-11. Like, that was his statement on 9-11. And juxtaposing that with the dust scene where Tom Cruise is shaking off all the dust in the mirror. Mm. I get chills yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also a dark where... Um, um, they stop, they're driving and they stop, um, so Dakota Fanning can have a bathroom break and she's right by the river and she sees the dead bodies floating. Oh my god. She's a good actress, Dakota Fanning. She really is. Um, she really is. The transition, um, this is where I perform an act of contrition and acknowledge that I was very wrong about Tintin. Finally. Yeah. Oh, it's happened. I see the light. Frogs are raining from the sky, and Mandy Moore is singing, At last I I see the light. light. (laughs) And it's like the fog is lifting. Screw you guys. I actually don't like that song. I know you like that song. That's why I love that song. I love that song. Who doesn't love Tangled? I, I, I freaking love Tangled. Okay. I do too. Kicks Frozen's ass any day. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Anything kicks Frozen's ass, though. Chicken Little kicks Frozen's ass. I'm hey, just I didn't mind Frozen <laughs> 2, guys. Come on now. It wasn't that bad. Fuck Frozen 2, man. Yeah, yeah. Dude. Okay, it was awful. Get out of town. Get out. Get out of here. It was awful. Come on. It wasn't awful. Jacob, it you're was. The it was site. not. How was it awful? Tell me. Go ahead. It was just over. They just over-explained everything. Well, I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> okay. And also, like when she, like when she saves Arendelle from being covered in, like, from ruins the the message of what I was trying to say about having to move on and trying to make up for mistakes and but such. Jake, and, it, it I don't know. I didn't get classic, that. It has but it's classic fine. '90s like boy band song. Oh God. That's <laughs> Come on, that was hilarious. That was hilarious. What the fuck was Crystal's arc even? What was his arc? It was non-existent. Yeah. And Kristoff was, I want to marry this girl. That was his arc. That was his arc. His arc was he wanted to marry her. And then he marries her. Yeah, that's his arc. I just realized Kristoff's arc and fucking Justin Timberlake's arc in <laughs> for the same thing. Oh my god. Am I wrong? I but, don't know. I don't get the hate for this freaking movie, okay? It's just Frozen 2. It's it's meaningless in the grand scheme. Okay. You know what? Here's here's the what the, the thing to settle the argument. My little sister just completely denounced Frozen, the the first one, and it was made for her for her demographic. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't like it anymore. She used to love it, she but she just told me like, yeah, it's c- complete garbage now. I feel like that's kind of normal. Like you get out of that phase of you know Disney movies after a while, though. 
I, that never really happened for me, at least. Okay, that happened, that happened for me. It kind of, I kind of grew out of Disney um, when I just got more into animation. On weirdly enough, um, the only when I became eighteen, I was exposed to more adult animated movies that are more artistic animated flicks. That's when my love for Disney kind of um, dwindled a bit. Ah, cool world. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So anyway, Tintin. Yeah, yeah, Tintin. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's what we were okay. talking about. Yeah, that's okay. What I was trying. Okay, I realized what the movie was meant to be. I think that it wasn't trying to be the Indiana Jones films like I thought it was trying to be. It was more of um, Spielberg playing with his toys and Jackson playing with his toys. And you know, I think we could all use just um, just a quick free-spirited uh, adventure flick every now and then. You know, it really is just the directors going crazy over what they had at their disposal, and it's just, it, it works. It works in delivering the thrills and the action scenes, um, like on the pirate ship or the, um, the one shot through Morocco, was it? Oh, that, that yes. one shot is so awesome. Um, I'm glad that we didn't um, record it, um, that mental health one with these cameras with, uh, on the Facebook um, Zoom, or else I would have been forced to look at the disappointing Crystal's face. <laughs> you would have you been forced to look at the disappointment in all of us, and yes. Michael, too. Yeah, <laughs> Not just me. yeah you, acted, you guys probably acted like I, I don't know, I committed murder or something. <laughs> I mean, okay, look, Tintin isn't that kind of movie where it's like, <gasps> you don't like it, but it's still like, you? You didn't like it? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But I, I, I still understand why I wasn't crazy about it at first. It, it's still wild to think that we had an Edgar Wright movie that was directed by Spielberg. Oh, yeah. And also Stephen Moffat. Yeah. But who, who cares about him? Edgar Wright. But like we Joe said, Cornish too. Like, like we said earlier, we, we, uh, we told you that it's more of a movie that you have to watch a couple times before you absolutely fall in love with it. Yeah, honestly, um, I was a lot harsher to this movie than I was at the mental health. I used to be, but even that subsided uh, up until that point. Uh, I guess I wanted it to be one thing, and instead I got another. So, and that's not really fair. You, when you're reviewing any movie, you really got to give it some shake. It's it's fair shake. Yeah, and we we've also been listening to this to the the score, and it's so much fun. Yes, John Williams can just do no wrong, man. And I really like it for uh, as a John Williams score, because it doesn't have his classic, you know, big bombastic horns. Right. Like, it's more mellow, sticks to like woodwinds and just a little flare of, of brass. And I really like that out of him. That's, that's why Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite of his Harry Potter scores. I'd have to listen to it. It's, it's so unique compared to the other two. Yeah, it's, it doesn't have the same brass, the same. It, it's actually more um, eclectic in a sense. Like there are different instruments being used. Like the Night Bus piece, for instance. 
and John Williams totally walked all over Hans Zimmer before he fucking did it by having a ticking clock being an accompanying instrument in one of his tracks. Why didn't John Williams get praised for being brilliant as a as a musician? Okay, fuck you, Hans Zimmer. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm you. I'm still. I'm really Thank pissed you. that when Dunkirk came out, people were jerking off Hans Zimmer. Oh, he's such a musical genius. He's yes. such a musical genius. Don't you hear? He's really bringing up the anxiety in people. Okay? He did. He has a ticking clock as a leading percussion oh in God. his... He's got shepherd tones in it. Oh! I hate that. I, I hate... Crystal has more hatred for oh. Hans Zimmer than I do. I, I just... And even I, I love... I screw you, I love Hans Zimmer. Uh, no, no. I like some of his scores. Early Hans Zimmer. Yeah, early Hans Zimmer is really, really good. Lion like, King. Prince of Egypt. Yeah, yeah. Lion King, Prince of Egypt, The Back Rock of of was Egypt really good. Again. And then with The Dark Knight, he started getting experimental, and I hate it. You don't like the Joker thing? And it's performed live. It's pretty good. It's like, <laughs> it's like that annoying little freaking mosquito flying right by your ear. That's what Hans Zimmer is. It's a, uh, yeah, pretty much. It's supposed to sound like a blade, though, I think. It's not supposed to sound like one of Joker's little blades. It's great. Doesn't sound good, though. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Um. <laughs> uh, that's just my opinion. Also, uh, I, I will always have an eternal hatred for for Hans Zimmer just for his recent scores. See, but I, I love his him. I love his Blade Runner score. That I will give you. That's a good score, and it fits it because of the of the the theme. Yeah, it fits. exactly. But in other pieces, it doesn't work. You guys excited for Dune, which Hans Zimmer's gonna score? But it is directed by Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Is that how you say his name? I. I, yeah, I, Denis I Villeneuve. just kept hearing it as Denis Villeneuve. So. He's French-Canadian, I think. Ah, uh, okay. Uh. He, he, he's no David Cage, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> you mean he doesn't believe in emotions? The polygons. And polygons. <laughs> I only read the one game blog. Polygon. Because <laughs> it has only one emotion. But I am excited for Tenant if Nolan doesn't get us all killed. Because the guy doing the music for Tenet... That's his plan the whole time. The, the guy doing the music for Tenet is Ludwig van Gorenson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Community guy. And also Black Panther. And not doing Han, Han Summer's not doing the score for this for Tenet? No, he, he had a choice between doing Tenet or Dune, and he said, yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> then he will give me the Oscar, so. He already has two Oscars, doesn't he? You can always get a third. Okay. Spielberg's got three. Mm. Is there actually a limit to how many you can get? No. Oh, okay. It just depends on whether or not the people that are voting are tired of you. Mm. Meryl Streep. Um... <laughs> okay, before we move on here, let's talk about... Josh, did you see that Avengers, um, the video game thing? Yes, I did. Yeah, what did you think? I like how it looks. I think it looks like a lot of fun. I like that Modok is the villain. 
you know what having him like i had never really heard his voice like what was meant to be his voice in anything ever i hadn't even heard his voice in like ultimate versus marvel versus capcom so hearing that chilling monologue that he gives voiceover for about like hunting in the woods yeah but was that him or was that supposed to be the leader guy i think that was him if, if that was him that was enough to sell me okay modok you get a pass and i'm sorry for always assuming Patton oswald would play you in live action because that was chilling <laughs> yeah and i think people are too mean on the game i'm not sold i can understand that but i i'm sold and I think people are really mean on the graphics. They, somebody went ahead. I and don't like the graphics. I really don't. I don't like the visual style. Somebody said that mm. it looks on par with an N sixty four game, and I want to say what N sixty four games. No. Are you <laughs> Maybe they mean in terms of the palette. The the facial animation is what gets me. Everything else looks okay. It's a little sty- uh, I, I I'll just brush it off as st- uh, stylized, but the facial animation I can't get past. It looks gross. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. This is where I disagree with you. I know, shocker. (laughs) (laughs) I am. Nothing's going to beat Last of Us Two with graphical overhaul. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I I just the way they're trying to make it a live service kind of game. You know where they have that that kind of persistent online thing that they're doing, where like people can just jump in and do the war zones or what have you. Oh, that's what they're doing. Yeah, like, and and also, you know, paid microtransactions for for cosmetics and things like that. Like, I don't think it's going to be that. I, I I just I don't see it being a really great game for some reason. And it's Crystal Dynamics, and I like them a lot. But it's just that ugh. they're the same people that made Rise of the Tomb Raider. Wonderful. They also made the first Tomb Raider reboot, which was awesome. So. I don't know. They they they're a good team. I just feel like this is going to be pretty not good. That's Here's just my that. first instinct on it, so it could be completely wrong and I hope it is wrong and I hope it's like one of the best games ever, but I I feel like we're ready for a dud. I I feel like we've had good games pretty much this whole year, good AAA games, and now we're going to you know, that one's going to be the one that hits and everybody's going to be like this is very mediocre. I think I've mentioned it in one of the episodes of Renegade Arcade or not. I may have mentioned it with friends. I don't remember, but I've loved the idea of different developers and different consoles having exclusives. Yeah. Based around Marvel. Like I would be so on board if Capcom teamed up with Nintendo and did a Heroes for Hire game where you pl- it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up where you play as Luke Cage and Iron Fist, and you're just going around New York beating the crap out of criminals. That does sound like a Switch game. Or, 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 or something like, I don't know. Uh, 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 Old school. Hell, give it to Naughty Dog. I don't care. Have Naughty Dog do what they usually do, a AAA game, but based on Daredevil. Hmm. Open world kind of bare-knuckle fighting and everything and stealth where just carry over the listen mode from last of us slap it on daredevil be like oh hey there you go crystal dynamics with an avengers game never made sense to me 
because it, it just felt what made Crystal Dynamics so unique to do an ensemble game like that. It just looks really simplistic to me. Like the combat looks simplistic, graphics look kind of simplistic. I don't know. To to me, it. I'm not. Uh, I I get it. I'm I'm just not I, feeling positive about it. I get it. You know, they. I hope it is good. I really do. Like I'm I, I'm gonna say that. Like okay, keep hope alive for it. But that's about. I get what you mean. They can't all be bug snacks, but you know we're we're gonna have to wait and see. Okay, Jacob, you're next. Actually, I was thinking about um, maybe we can talk about um our favorite actors where they are. So um, you have to give one actor who's dead and one actor who's living. I always like to know who my favorite actor of all time is. Do it, Christopher Lee. Ooh, yes. Good choice. I love the classic her. actor from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chris, man, that, that freaking voice, man, that freaking voice. He also uh, he like recorded metal albums into his. Ears. Yes, I was gonna mention that. That that guy is more metal than I will ever be, and I fully accept it. You know, um, not not just metal too, but they're also um for um. Um, um, actually, Christopher Lee, he was a descendant of Charlemagne, the first holy emperor of Rome. Good lord. Yeah. Definitely. And, like, and that's a thousand times more metal than I'll ever be. Charlemagne, um, and so, um, that was the kind of albums that he did, was that he would sing as Charlemagne, essentially. Uh, he, some of the songs include, Let Legend Mark Me as the King, and Shed the Blood of the Saxon Men. That sounds metal as fuck. <laughs> it does sound metal as fuck. Um, uh, also, um, recorded for um, uh, this one Italian uh, heavy metal band called um, Power Metal, actually Rhapsody of Fire, and uh, they would they would do like concept albums that took place in a fantasy world. Uh, also, Christopher Lee, he was he was such a badass. Um, he would fight in the British Secret Service, and he would hunt down Nazis. I heard about that. He um, he also, when he was 17, he witnessed the last public execution in France. Oh, my God. That's by, by guillotine. He was the last one yeah, of yeah. the last people to watch it. He saw the death of the bourgeoisie. At what age? 17. What year um, was that? 1939, I believe. Jesus. I know. Actually, um, also, he climbed a volcano three days before it was supposed to erupt. Oh my god. Fuck he off, Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah, Chuck, he was, he was also, um, knighted. He was knighted. Oh, he, um, shit. Uh, in his 20s, he was, in his 20s, he was approached to be an opera singer. So we should really be calling him Sir Christopher Lee. So yeah, he's done all these amazing things. He was actually he was also um a cousin of Ian Fleming, the creator of James Bond. And wow. he got to play he got to play a Bond villain too. Hmm. All right, Christopher Lee, save some for us. He also I'm not done yet. Holy shit. Oh, no. He met the men who allegedly assassinated Rasputin. Rasputin. <laughs> um he uh he he met J.R.R. Tolkien in a pub. 
And you got Tolkien's blessing to play Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, should they ever make a Lord of the Rings movie. But he ended up playing Saruman. Exactly. And he and also he had the single most bad he also he was the most prolific actor of all time at the Guinness Book of World Records. He had more screen credits than anybody. He was also the tallest actor of all time before Vince Vaughn. Of all things Vince Vaughn could have been better at. <laughs> Being taller than Christopher Lee. And I don't think I have to remind you guys, but he had the single most badass voice of all time. Mm-hmm. I, and I he was... Going, in... going back to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, he can make candy sound goddamn terrifying. Lollipops. Chocolate. All this ought to be called cavities on a stick. <laughs> oh, now I remember him. Caramels. They get stuck in their bristles, wouldn't they? <laughs> he also was he also was fluent in uh, German, French, and Italian. Legend, man, he's a legend. And he, of course, fourth right now. He passed away a few years ago at the age of ninety-three. So yeah, he had a hell of a life. We could only hope to die after having such an incredible just life. I mean, man, you know. He is feasting with Charlemagne wherever he is. And he was Dracula many times. Many Dracula. Um, I'm I'm kind of a Christopher Lee expert, honestly. Um, yeah. I, I, a few years ago when I was 18, I just devoured any song, anything, I, any, anywhere I could hear his voice. You know, just, he was also a singer too. Like, he, mm-hmm. he, he would also sing a lot, like in this band. I also heard him sing... Um, Ghost Ghost Rider in the Sky. It was a it was a cow, western song. It's we hear Christopher Lee doing a cowboy accent. Christopher Lee is my favorite actor of all time, but my favorite actor currently will but my favorite actor currently living is living is Willem Dafoe. Mm, good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Willem Dafoe, he just does everything. Like he he's a very diverse actor. He's a very he he's done so many. He's done the Green Goblin. He's played Jesus. He's played uh, Vincent Van Gogh. He's played a Vietnam veteran. He's played um, fish. Yeah, a fish. He um, I just love him and everything he's in. He's extremely entertaining and whatever he needs to be, whether it's sinister or sympathetic or just crazy, and he just goes the extra mile, man. Yeah, he's the most prolific actor that I respect whose penis I've seen. What? Uh, Lars von Trier. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry, but I thought you were like, you actually saw it in person. <laughs> yes, I met Willem Dafoe in person, and I, I did not ask him, oh, hey, Mr. Dafoe, will you be in one of my movies? Okay. <laughs> 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 um, Kiona, who are, who's your favorite actor? Actually, we'll we'll let Josh and Crystal go first. Yeah. yeah. So you go. Oh first. my God! Why are you guys all dumping this on me, because Jacob? I, I, you're you're like the you're like the pop quiz teacher. I hate this. <laughs> I was not ready for this. I'm not really good at remembering names, so I'm not gonna be good at this. The first name that I can think of for dead actor, uh, Gene Wilder. Yeah, that's good. Not bad. In fact, did we actually go on our first date that, or was that 
earlier. That was like when we f- when I first when we when we first realized that I really liked you. It was on oh, the day okay. Gene Wilder died. Yeah. Awkward. Yeah, it was awkward, <laughs> but it, it was because of that we got the ball rolling, and I was like, "Yo, we want to watch Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory together." And she said yes. <laughs> but no, Gene Wilder in general is just always amazing. He was probably one of the best parts in that really weird Woody Allen movie that was an anthology comedy based on a book called Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex But Was Too Afraid to Ask. What I totally want to hear from Woody Allen. <laughs> and that one, he plays a psychiatrist who falls in love with a goat and god damn it to hell gene wilder sells it mm. he looks at that goat with the emotion like a lost lover <laughs> and he plays it totally straight too all that and you still haven't seen young frankenstein have you? i have not i really want frankenstein <laughs> he, he's the master of coming up with the comedic pause like, my favorite, I still haven't seen Blazing Saddles also, where he's like, you know, these are simple farmers, people of the land, you know, morons. <laughs> That's the best. Hey. And a live actor? Who's your favorite alive actor? Who's your favorite actor that's alive, that is kicking? Shut up, Josh! Who's your favorite alive actor? Okay, well, I don't know if this one really counts, but I- I'm going to say it counts. Uh, Rob Paulson. Oh, okay, that uh, counts. Yeah. Yeah, I love him. I just love him to bits. Okay, you-, you get off light with that. That's a good one. You have to be a hipster and go with a voice actor, but I respect what? that. <laughs> <laughs> you know I love him. I mean, don't we all? Yes. You gotta finish that croissant. <laughs> no, you, I can't okay, no. tell you. I cannot okay. tell you how many people I had come up to me at Starbucks and say, "I would like a croissant." <laughs> I would like a croissant. <laughs> exactly. Okay. No, like, let me try it again. Let me try it again. Uh, do it. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the people who go the Gordon Ramsay route and call it croissant. <laughs> Oh my god, that, that, that just reminds me of the remix of of Redbone by Childish Gambino, where they they sung over it in Carl Weezer's voice <laughs> from Jimmy Neutron's <laughs> he had Daylight. And instead of, you know, saying, you know, that word, it's like, so stay woke. Llama's creeping. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite, um, Carl Weezer moments is when they're having a school election and um and and uh, Libby Sheen and Jimmy and Baldy are voting are are they running and so they keep giving Carl um a button <laughs> and Jimmy notices it but Carl I'm your best friend you're supposed to vote for me and Carl said yeah but there was the money and the pictures and the slap 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 and he just screams stop the world I want to <laughs> Get off! My favorite is uh, Carl Weezer's cover of Weezer's Say It Ain't So. <laughs> <laughs> Please 
Say Russell and Jimmy. Russell and Jimmy. Russell and Jimmy. Anyway. Say it outside. Anyway. Anyway. What were we talking about? Favorite actors. You said Rob Paulson. Okay, Josh. Your turn. Mine are Robin Williams. Uh, Yes. He's he's dead, of course, and Christ. Yeah, that's hard. That actually really hit me too, because I was working at like um, CVS or something at the time, and then I heard that, and for some reason, it made me very, very sad. I remember that, and working at CVS makes you sad. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. I I remember when I found out, I was walking to a friend of mine's that I cannot stand anymore, that lived right in my same neighborhood. And I was walking to her house, and she was the one of all people that told me, hey, Robin Williams is dead. Oh, man. I said, no. I remember um, I found out when my, my I was just coming down, um, to come to the kitchen to get something to eat, and my mom was listening to the radio, and she just said, Robin Williams died. And, it's, and that just... I just didn't know how to react to that. I was just—it was just so unexpected. I was just kind of numb, and just—it was just awful, and I—I I, I couldn't believe it. I remember I was in seventh grade. I was walking through the halls, and I just see this stupid Instagram post. It was like, "Oh, never forget," blah 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 blah, blah some stupid sappy stuff. But then I actually looked into this into what happened, and uh, I was—I was just devastated for the rest of the day. Yeah. It's like finding out your grandpa's gone. And he, Robin Williams had hell of a had a lot of range. He did. Just that. I'm gonna say this: Robin Williams single-handedly makes Insomnia my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Just seeing him play a psychotic killer with the same calm that he usually has is downright bone chilling. But my personal favorite Robin Williams movie is The Fisher King. I've heard of that. Yeah. It is absolutely sweet and loving and wild and crazy. It's a Terry Gilliam movie, but it's one of the ones where it's a happy ending instead. So instead of making you feel like you just had a weird acid trip for two hours. Well, I mean, it still makes you feel like you had a weird acid trip for two hours. Well, yeah, but but then you come out of it feeling happy instead of feeling like you don't know what you just experienced or like you want to die, like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Anyway, my favorite living actor, on the flip note, you know... I'd probably say Ryan Gosling. Really? <laughs> Interesting. He's like, in my opinion, the modern Gene Wilder. Like, he can pull off the straight man so perfectly, but when he's allowed to be funny, oh my god, he knocks it out of the park. The, the nice guys oh is god. just probably one of his best roles. Yes. <laughs> but he can also just, you know... I just think of the scene when he's getting his arm broken. <laughs> <laughs> But he can also play it very straight and do some good dramatic stuff. And, you know, I got to give it to Damien Chazelle for, you know, giving him La La Land. And First Man. And First Man. That made me realize, you know what, I'm happy I don't want to be an astronaut because that sounds absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So, yeah, Robin Williams and Gene, not Gene Wilder, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 Ryan Gosling. Interesting. So, um, Kiana, who is your favorite dead actor? (laughs) <laughs> you know i'm gonna go with bruce lee not bad yeah i'm gonna go with bruce lee because if there's 
if there's anyone who I'd like to like just have a conversation with, it would yeah. be Bruce Lee. Yeah. Because yeah. that that guy, not only did he have screen presence, he also was like he's amazingly intelligent. Like, have you ever read his his like biographies and stuff and like the Tao of Jeet Kune Do and everything? I mean, it's just like he's he did, so smart. He strikes me as a very philosophical man. Very very philosophical. Yeah. Very disciplined. So, yeah. I could imagine just, you know, just, just hanging out with the guy and just having like a conversation, a deep conversation about life. Yeah. How, and his death is still a mystery, isn't it? I, I think that what they've said is that he, he died of an aneurysm. Mm. It, what, what's sad also is that um, his son, Brandon Lee, also yeah. was he, on the set of The Crow. He was, he was accidentally killed by a, uh, a gun blank that was jammed. And I really like, I, I liked Brandon as well. Like he, he did this movie called Rapid Fire, which is just a complete like, you know, late eighties, early nineties action, you know, just one of those action movies. But I don't know, for some reason, it was just cool to see him in it. He had something similar to what his father had. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, just in terms of screen presence and everything, like, like I wouldn't, maybe not the greatest actors in the world, but interesting people. Yeah. Like Christopher Lee, for instance, who, yeah. had a, who also had amazing screen presence, and that's why he's my favorite actor exactly. of all time. Exactly. Um, for living actors, I would say Al Pacino. Not Ooh. bad. Not bad. I have some depth. Come on, guys. No, I, yeah. Just, I, that is, I can't believe I didn't think about him, too. Just yeah. him and Dog Day Afternoon. Just, oh, yeah. I, I think for, for me, like, the defining role for him is Heat. Or Big Boy Caprice and Dick Tracy. We still gotta get. Christian. Or as an actually no, you know that's really wrong. His defining role was himself and Jack and Jill. <laughs> oh, Duncanino. Okay. okay. <laughs> Say yeah, hello to my there. chocolate blend. <laughs> he is great. He is great. The guy's great, man. He can he can do that kind of thing. He can do like you know every time he's on screen, he's just fun. No, I'm just getting warmed up. It was also good um, in The Irishman. Um, I'm sure you've seen that. Yes, yes, yeah. It was, it was good it seeing was great in Irishman and in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, he was in that one too. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. I seldom ever think of Al Pacino as a teddy bear, but in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he was just so lovable. Just, you know who else I would say too? Like instance. my backup choice that I almost said was Michael Keaton. Uh, not bad. Not bad. Yeah, he's a very unpredictable actor, Michael Keaton. Yeah. It's it's so yeah, and and it's pretty convenient for you to say that because he's going to be playing Batman again in the Flash movie. Is that confirmed? I think it is. I think it's cuz Andy Muschietti, the guy that did it, uh, chapters 1 and 2, um since he's working from his own script now, and not from the one that Ezra Miller and Grant Morrison were doing. He wanted to involve the, he, he wanted to change a few things. And one of the things he wanted to change was taking out Flashpoint's Batman with Thomas Wayne and mm. introducing the multiverse with the Burtonverse. Uh, so. I mean, that kind of ties into Flash's appearance in Crisis too. Yeah. On the TV shows. Yeah. Oh, I remember that was a big event. It was where all these different versions yeah. of the same character, like um, Brandon Routh returned as Superman. Yeah, yeah. And um, and Burt Ward. Yeah, Burt Ward had a cameo, and the guy that played Alexander Knox in the '89 Batman had a cameo. 
Yeah, I remember that. It, it's weird. Uh, of course, Michael Keaton. That was like the first time I think um, a casting decision w- was met with real backlash. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That was because back then he was only known for playing comedies, for playing, um, for being in comedies and such. And so when they heard, you know, if that decision was made today, we would never have gotten it. And people still say that he's the best Batman. Oh yeah. I like that he was different, and I like that he was kind of, you know, he he brought a certain, like Humanity. you say, he's 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 unpredictable, and I like that he brought that to the character a little bit. Yeah, I like. I also I even like even when he was Bruce Wayne, he had his moments, like when yeah. the Joker comes by, um, uh, Kim Bessinger's um, yeah, Vale apartment. You want to yeah. get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Mm-hmm. He really plays Batman like a schizophrenic. He plays him like a psycho. Mm. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Not in a bad way, like a Frank Miller, I'm the goddamn Batman kind of way. In a more kind of horror villain kind of way. Yeah, there's a bit of that. And he comes in and he scares the shit out of everybody and you totally buy it. Yeah. He's also able to play Batman and smile and be threatening too. Yeah. When when Val Kilmer smiled, he just looked goofy. He had a he had a very dry sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Val, Val Bruce Kilmer Wayne in as Batman. Val Kilmer had Nicole Kidman in his pocket. That's okay. true. Who wouldn't smile at that? Mm-hmm. That is true. Uh, well both um Michael Keane and Val Kilmer are better than George Clooney at least. <laughs> okay, you know what? I'm gonna say a hot take. Go. Oh, God. Go. Oh, God. Don't tell me. George no. Clooney is a good Bruce Wayne. In fact, I dare say he's the perfect Bruce Wayne. Fair enough. Because he's able to sell that smugness that on the outside you'd associate with Bruce Wayne with the paparazzi, but yeah. is able to give off just enough vulnerability that you believe there's a person underneath all that smug glitz and glamour. Kind of like Kind of like Kevin Conroy in the animated series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kevin Con like he, actually, I think Kevin Conroy is probably the best Bruce Wayne I've ever seen, just because he could. It was very convincing as a playboy, as a spoiled guy who's got the world around his finger, basically. And and it's and of course he's a polar opposite from Batman. That's what makes it perfect. Yeah, Kevin Conroy has more emotion in his voice than George Clooney does in his entire body. I'm that's sorry. True. That's true. Which yeah. I, I gotta say, I, I was watching an episode of Batman the Animated Series with Harley Quinn and just because I had forgotten what the original voice actress sounded like after all these years. And it was Harley's Holiday, where Harley Quinn is let go from Arkham Asylum. And she ends up getting kind of scared back into going into crime because, you know, everybody doesn't believe that she'll turn over a new leaf and she accidentally steals a dress. And Bruce goes to the dressing room, and he's like, Miss, I know that it's very difficult for you, but come on, you don't want to walk back on your first day, Miss. And then she swings open the door after ripping off a, a, a mannequin's arm, and she's dressed in that in one piece. She's like, I tried to go straight. I tried to leave it all behind, but no, you people won't let me. Society's to blame. And he reaches out his hand. So that way she could pick him up, and she's like, she's like, back off, rich boy, I'm armed, and hits her with the mannequin <laughs> arm. Classic Harley. Classic Harley. 
perfect Harley. That is everything that I felt because I got so used to not hearing her voice. I was like, I don't know if I can hear her voice the same again. And then that line, it all came flooding back. It's a good episode too. Uh, speaking of um, speaking of the new Flashpoint movies, they're also um saying that Joel Schumacher movies never happened and uh, announcing that immediately after Joel Schumacher died, I thought was a pretty bad. Uh, yeah, that's a little that's a little harsh. Right. There, there was one website that said, uh, Joel Schumacher, the man who created bat nipples, is dead." Oh God, that oh. was just oh, terrible. I heard that. No. Yeah. That's uncool. Yeah. Come on. You know what? People don't give Joel Schumacher enough credit. They act like Batman and Robin was the only movie he ever did. Exactly. I loved Falling Down. Loved Falling Down. The Lost Boys? Yeah, Lost Boys. Actually, um, and also Joel Schumacher, he he was a man with enough humility to apologize for Batman and Robin. Yeah, and I mean, he could he have actually, had, like, another chance at it. He could have had another shot at it, in my opinion. Like, if, if you actually let him make a movie, like, the Batman movie that he really wanted to make, maybe it would have turned out different. Yeah, he want, I think he, he originally pitched Batman Year One. He wanted to direct a... That was going to be his movie. It was going to be a prequel. Mm-hmm. It was going to be... And Batman Year One is one of those Batman stories that redefined the character into the dark persona that we all know, along with Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke. Actually, Tim Burton personally picked Joel Schumacher after a lunch they had. You know, they they had lunch together, and Tim Burton just knew that he, he felt deep down that, he, that Joel Schumacher was the perfect director. And then the studio said, we want to sell more toys, so make it flashy. Yeah. And also, um, a lot of, I, yeah, um, Joel, I think he laid a lot of the problems, a bit of the problems on Akiva Goldsman, the writer, which I believe because Akiva Goldsman, I don't think is probably not, probably not the best writer out there. He also, Joel Schumacher, he also directed, um, before uh, the Batman movies, he directed uh, some John Grisham adaptations, like yeah, the, client the Client and the Time to Kill. Time to Kill, yeah. Yeah. Were those good? I thought The Client was good. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's kind of typical, but it was good for what it was the time to kill was uh very dramatic i don't i i haven't seen it in a long time so when i first saw it i thought it was good yeah i mean i always thought that schumacher was actually a good director and then yeah uh, you know and then we saw batman and robin and it's everybody's like oh well joel schumacher is basically sam raimi without the restraint yeah oh yeah, wow yeah true true mm-hmm. i could see that you always come up with the perfect analogies um <laughs> Josh, seriously. Josh knows his directors. I I was re-watching Batman Forever like a couple days ago. I was showing Crystal the insanity of it and the fact that it was probably the horniest movie I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Well, it kind of (laughs) was. You know, it it hit me because Joel Schumacher has a flair for over-the-top comic booky visuals like Sam Raimi. But the problem is, like, he doesn't know when to hold back and it makes... It causes huge emotional whiplash. Like there's a perfect, mm-hmm. there's two perfect scenes, no three perfect scenes in Batman Forever that I really love. And one is when he's talking with Robin, and he's basically telling Robin that the quest for revenge is futile. It's just going to lead to this huge cycle, and you're just going to end up taking it out on people that don't deserve it. And mm-hmm. you know, Chris O'Donnell, he's just like, oh, "What makes you think that? You know, you don't, you you don't know me." 
And he just looks at him and says, I am you. Like, that's perfect Bruce Wayne psychology shit. Mm -hmm. And the other scene that I loved is um, where... uh, 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 I love it for the insanity of it, but it's when Dick saves the rest of the circus from the bomb and he's parents dead. Like... I think yeah. it's pretty well executed for the insanity of it, except for Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. But, and the last one that I love is when Chase, when Bruce is telling Chase about his visions, about what happened the day his he went to his parents' funeral, which I stand is the best telling of Bruce discovering the Batcave ever, where he falls and he says that he fell forever. And he mm-hmm. looks up and he was scared for just a moment and he saw a fly, a bat flying towards him. You, just, you know, I have to admit that, like, there's something that I miss about those earlier superhero films, which is that they didn't have to be so grounded. Yeah. Like, I feel like, you know, you could have gotten away with those visuals that were a little more dreamlike, yeah. a little more stylized. Whereas now it's like everything has to be so, like, realism, you know? And it's just yeah. like... Yeah, they could be even cheesy, too. Something yeah, like Diamond Absolutes fine. fit really perfectly in the 90s. I don't know. Okay. Now you're making per- me rethink my last statement, Josh. No, no, no. But it, it's serious because Batman v Superman and Man of Steel are so grounded that it makes those moments where they want to go dreamy feel very surreal and out of place compared yeah. to the rest of the movie. And um the perfect bookend with that scene in question in Batman Forever is when Chase is like, what are you trying to say? And then she kisses him. And without saying anything, she leans back and realizes through the kiss because she had kissed Batman. She realizes who he is, yeah. Yeah. Realizes who he is. And rather than cut away, I think they do cut away, but you see her slowly break into a smile. And I just think, oh my God, that's visual. I love that. I gotta say, 14-year-old Kiona loved Nicole Kidman in that movie. Oh, yeah. Sorry, but it's true. You didn't love Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman? Of course. Okay. Um, that was 11-year-old you... me, though. I, I don't think I was quite as awakened. Did you, couldn't, couldn't you tell also um, Batman Forever that um, Jim, Tommy Lee Jones hated Jim Carrey? What? I think Tommy Lee Jones wanted to play it seriously at first, right? Yeah, the, I, I, I wouldn't surprise me that because um, um, yeah, he would have made a great Two Face if he was serious. Like, oh yeah, but if he also played it for real. Yeah, Josh, are you aware of um the first time that Jim Carrey spoke to Tommy Lee Jones before they started filming and what Tommy Lee Jones said to him? What what happened? Because I don't okay, remember. Listen, listen, because um, it, it was they were. They were cast around um, 94, Tim Carey as Riddler and Tommy Lee Jones as, um, as Two-Face. And in the summer of 19, this, in the winter of 1994, Tommy Lee Jones starred in a movie called Cobb, which was a, his big passion project. And it was outgrossed by Dumb and Dumber. So oh, no. they had, so when Jim Carey met Tommy Lee Jones at a restaurant. You know what Tommy Lee Jones said to Jim Carrey? What? He said, I hate you to his face. And he told he told Jim Carrey, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. Woo! Yeah, and yeah, they 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 didn't get along swimmingly as you could as you can predict from that. Um things got a little heated between them. It is actually really hard to 
think of the scenes with both of them together then. Yeah, when they're cackling maniacally and stuff. Oh. Especially when Tommy Lee Jones has to play second fiddle to Jim Carrey. Yeah. And, and you know what's another part that damages um uh, the Tommy Lee Jones portrayal as Two-Face? When they're invading Bruce's mansion and Two-Face is constantly flipping that coin until he gets the right, the one that, that, that tells him that he can kill Bruce Wayne. That just ruins the entire point of Two-Face, doesn't it? Yeah. Like he would, he Two Face would be upset with the fact that he didn't get what he wanted, but he would respect it. But you know what? It's worth it just to hear Tommy Lee J- Jones go. Ah! <laughs> I like the part where he kills the driver or something, and then he goes, "We'll drive, thank you." Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Um. Also, isn't it weird that um after his parents died, Robin, who apparently he's in his twenties in this movie, and yet he has to find a guardian. Yeah. He has to talk with yeah. some but then later on, because I was thinking, all right, they're trying to say seventeen. Okay, I get that, but then you have uh, you have uh, Bruce say, "How about Dick Grayson, college student?" And it's like, okay, so you're aware that he looks like he's in his twenties. Do guys, do you consider Batman Forever uh, a sequel to the Tim Burton movies, or do you think that's a full blown reboot? Because that's kind of how I see it. I, I see it more as a sequel, honestly. Really? Yeah. Because. It, it's hard for me to kind of accept that because of how different it is to the Tim Burton movies. Um, yeah, you know? I, I see your point. And also, the, the cast, with the exception of Michael Goff as Alfred and Pat Hingle as Gordon. Gordon. Yeah, yeah, that's entirely different cast. And you know, yeah. yeah, I think you can just write it off as even like I think those two actors I think they'd be the only thing she, linking all four actors well the doctor well Chase Meridian does mention skin tight vinyl and a whip yeah but yeah but so. that's cat well it's not like Batman Returns was the first Catwoman movie I mean like, uh, all, yeah I mean you could you could say all, all that means is that Catwoman exists in Batman and the Joel Schumacher universe yeah I don't know I just I never thought of it that way though I, I thought of it as a sequel this is my interpretation where it's like it is a sequel in the sense that Batman and Batman Returns are Batman's dark period where he's mm. just he's going through a lot of stuff and the, the movies reflect that. The city's very gothic horror and everything. And after Batman Returns, Bruce is trying to move on. He's trying to find some semblance of stability in his life. And Batman Forever and Rob and Batman and Robin are all about him trying to find love again, trying to find a family again, something to ground him. And the movies kind of reflect that in how flashy they are, almost overwhelming Bruce with forced happiness, forced positivity until he forges an actual positive connection with Robin. Deep, man. Hmm. I'm, I'm planning on doing a video... Like I have two videos that I want to do soon of uh, the cinematic setbacks of Spider-Man, where I go through each Spider-Man adaptation and I talk about the positives and the flaws that each adaptation has. That's the Raimi, the Web, the the MCU version, and even Spider-Verse. Because I do think, as much as I think Spider-Verse is perfect, I think there are some flaws that hold it back from being a perfect Spider-Man movie. And I want to do the same thing with Batman because... Between Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher, Christopher Nolan, and Zack Snyder, and maybe even uh, Matt Reeves, 
I don't think any version has gotten Batman perfect. I think um, my favorite, I, I think the best Batman movie of all is probably Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Hmm. The and even Lynn. then, I think there's still a flaw there. That like there's still a couple flaws there, but I think there's one major flaw that I think holds it back. You guys can. I, I think in terms of live action movies, I think there's there hasn't been anything that came as close as Mask of the Phantasm, though. Yeah, but I yeah. think the problem with Mask of the Phantasm, in a weird way, is that it's almost too fast for its own good. Like the pacing is too perfect, where I feel like they could have lingered on some things a little bit more. Okay, that's fair. But that's me. I'm I'm still looking forward to Matt Reeves, um, the Batman. That looks dope as hell. I don't like the Batmobile. I mean, too. Jacob, I like. Yeah. Jacob, you and me are gonna be alone on this compared to Keona. He, he, he does not like what he's seeing so far. Yeah. You don't really. You're not impressed. I, I, I think it look has loads of potential. I think. You know what I, be... I, I think maybe story wise it does. It, it depends on what their take is. It depends on if they're gonna do something really different or if they're just gonna retread the same ground. Um, well, they, they, they I don't... like Matt Reeves. I like him as a director, so I, yeah. I'm curious about it. But yeah, I like. I idea. don't like the look of the Batmobile at all. I I love the look of really because I think no. it looks like a car. It looks like that's that's the thing. It looks like a car. I don't the... like it looking like a car. It just okay, looks here, special. Here's what I don't get. Here's what I don't get about the Batmobile. Here's what I don't get. Shouldn't that be a dead giveaway that Bruce Wayne is Batman? Why do you think so? <laughs> because. Because, like, who else in Gotham could afford a car like that? I like it when the Batmobile go vroom vroom and it got the wings in the back. <laughs> I feel like the only person, the only uh, movie that's gotten the Batmobile right is The Incredibles. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I like the 89 Batmobile, so maybe that's why, you know, nothing yeah, will ever approach that for me. Okay. I, I, okay, that was one of the cool things in Batman vs. Superman and BVS was that the Batmobile was actually cool. <laughs> I thought it was. It I thought it was. I don't mind the guns, okay? I don't mind the guns. The 89 Batmobile had guns. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. It also had a shell that would cover it somehow, and <laughs> I mean, like, it was it was stupid, but, you know. It's okay, Crystal, I feel you. <laughs> Incredible, the best, no matter what. But mm. you know, I don't know. It's just so, I don't know. I'm not, like I said, I'm not completely closed off to it. But I, I, I am excited as hell for Paul Dano as the Riddler, though. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing. The cast for the Batman, it it's out of the box. You know, it really is. Like that, um, Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon, and yeah, and Colin Farrell as the Penguin, and Andy Circus as Alfred. Keanu's over here like, eh. I, I, I think I like that. I thought for um, Alfred, they were going to go for another posh um, actor like Michael Caine or Jeremy Irons. But you know, Andy Circus, he's in a very talented character actor. And I think he's, I like to see him pull him off. Pull him off. It's really brave that they got the award-winning director of Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. But you know what? That's just diversity in the directing pool, you know? You can let a director of Sony be in your Warner Brothers movie. Remember when Andy Serkis directed that Jungle Book movie? Oh, we don't talk about that. I thought it was okay. I, well, I, 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 will, I will say that it was pretty weird that they um, used motion capture for the animals. 
Yeah. Yeah. I seen a panther with Christian Bale's face. I I got a thing I want to end the the show on. Go for it. If you guys are cool with it. Let's hear it. Um. Do you guys know YouTube? Yeah. I know of it. Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay, so do you know about this guy named Shane Dawson? Oh God. Okay, I I, I assume that this was your your final rant is Josh. So I'm just gonna let you have it. See, Go for I, it. I debated about ending on a big rant on Camila Cabello and her god awful fucking dog chew toy uh uh, uh voice. But you know what? I want to save that for another time when you guys actually know what I'm talking about. But this one is very interesting to me because Shane Dawson has occurred the wrath of the Smiths, as in Jaden, Willow, and Jada Pekin Smith. Uh, uh, apparently, yeah, he, um, he's been getting a lot of flack lately. He's a, he was a moderately respected YouTuber. Not moderately. He was like one of the OGs. Yeah, and he was respected, especially lately, for doing psychological fluff piece uh, documentaries on Jake Paul. But, and several other things. And several other things, but he more or less had a respectable uh, um, reputation. And it's all come crashing down in the wake of everything that's been happening, especially after another YouTuber named Jenna Marbles, who's probably one of the kinder personalities on the internet, decided to leave YouTube for a while because fans confu- like fans saw a video where she had a really bad spray tan and thought she was doing blackface. And she decided, you know what? You know, I like to think I've changed, but people don't think so. I completely understand that. And I think, you know what? The best thing for me to do would be to take a break from YouTube. And she quit. She quit the internet, and Shane Dawson decided to, inspired by her video, came out and more or less addressed all the controversies that he had been a part of in the past, including racist videos, videos involving children, all this and this and that, and a little thing that happened last year where uh, him and a couple other people dragged another, another creator named Jeffrey, no, no uh, James Charles, through the mud with false allegations or what have you. If they're even false, I don't know because that whole drama was hard to even follow. But there's possibility that those allegations weren't even true. And Shane Dawson more or less went along with them because apparently this kid who was 19 years old felt like he was getting too big an ego and needed to be served a slice of humble pie those were his words in a statement and most of his apology was just deflecting on everybody and it reached a point where they started resurfacing a whole bunch of footage of his past jokes where he was pretending to get off to a poster of willow smith when she was 11 and that yeah. song, I Whip My Hair Back and Forth, came out. And Jaden Smith came out pissed that he just discovered the video and went after Shane. And his mom, Jada Pinkett, came out and said, Shane, it's time to stop with the excuses. So it's like pissing off the family of Fred Rogers. 
you you know you don't incur that kind of wrath but Shane did I'm a weird I'm of a weird thought with Shane Dawson as a person because if I can be blunt I feel like he's spineless and I can say that in more ways than one because I'm planning on doing a video on him not for his controversies but also for another thing I've got a series I want to do called Pipe Dreamers where I look at artists passion projects mm-hmm. like stuff that they've done that's purely them and I look at the context in which it was released the production if applicable and what that piece of art says about them as artists as people and Shane Dawson stepped into the cinematic world with Not Cool in 2014 and this is going to break your heart Kiona it starred Jeremy Lay oh yeah I met her I met her once she's such a kind soul isn't she she's very sweet yeah and I fear that Shane Dawson ruined her career cinematically hmm. in a movie where a homeless man eats his own shit. That's enough hell, to say. man. Yeah, but... Yep. <laughs> for research for this, and inspired by all the headlines, I wanted to see what I could gather about Shane Dawson as a person through Not Cool and the production of it, and I found the fucking mecca of research. There is a documentary series that came out on Stars a long time ago called The Chair. It was produced by Zachary Quinto, and okay. in it, he had two filmmakers. One was Shane Dawson, and the other was a filmmaker named Anna Martimucci. And they were both first-time filmmakers, obviously. And the idea was these two producers, one of them was the producer of American Pie, they decided to give him, give both of these people 600 or 800 thousand dollars to make their first feature-length movie and i didn't think anything of it you you, jacob kiona you're probably wondering okay josh why are you ranting about this why are you giving so much backstory i'm telling you there's a purpose okay continue yeah i've followed enough of shane dawson lately before the controversy to get an impression of what people think about him people think that he's a sweet compassionate person that sticks up for his friends. That's a lie. That would never sell them down the river. That is just a sensitive soul. That's a lie. You're right in more ways than one because people look at this and say, you know what, this was back in 2014. People change in that time. And you know what? I'm not about to say that people aren't capable of change. I was one of the people that supported James Gunn during everything that went down with his uh, firing from Guardians of the Galaxy. His thesis statement in all the Guardians films is about how fucked up people Mm -hmm. change with love in their life. So believe me when I tell you that watching this docu-series of Shane Dawson making his first feature-length film, it told me everything about him, not only as an artist, but as a person. In the docu-series, he is fucking horrible to his crew and to his friend, who is a producer on it, that he brought on as a producer who's his close friend at the time in his YouTube series. And he is just an all-around horrible person to be around in that time. And people would, if there are listeners that are like, that are willing to jump down my neck and defend, oh, well, Shane, it was, again, at that time. He's not like that now. When you see somebody gaslight their friend in front of a crew and basically shame them to being kicked out of the room because apparently they brought on a bad stink of a mood in the whole room when you see them 
go off and just be shitty to casting extras and say that these out-of-work extras should be proud, should be glad to be auditioning for a major film in Pittsburgh. When you see him just completely go off on people just because they dare to say, you know what, maybe if you want more people to be involved and want to be cast in your movie, maybe you should dial back the running gag where a homeless man eats his own shit and act like he's goddamn Stanley motherfucking Kubrick with his movie. When you see all of that, it is enough to sour your opinion on anybody. And the worst of it, it wasn't even any of that, but it was what he said in one of the episodes. Because in one of the episodes, it was that same thing that I said where he kicked out his producer friend who was, uh, you, you know, because they were shooting at a tattoo shop. And the tattoo shop owner, that the morning of the shoot, had actually taken the time to watch Shane Dawson's videos and said, you know what? I can't, if I had seen these videos before, I wouldn't have signed off on this. I don't like his videos. They're racist. They're sexist. They're homophobic. I fucking hate this. I would kick his ass. I'm not going to kick you guys out because I know it would set you everybody else back. And I don't want to blame everybody else for what one person did. But it was enough to get everybody on edge. And they were like, you know what? Shane, this is a pretty big scene where he's getting his ear pierced and it's supposed to look like a Tarantino kind of blood effect where he gets his ear pierced and it's just blood shooting everywhere. And they tell him, you know what, because of the severity of everything, why don't we um, just make sure that you're fast with your shoots, you know? And Shane took it as a personal attack and just started bitching out his producer and the crew was just like, oh, man, you know, you, you guys brought down the fucking mood. Oh, shit. And the producer was just trying to play calm, trying, trying to play nice. Like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. That's on me. And Shane said, you know what? Uh, why don't you just get get? Why don't you just uh, get out of the set for a little while? You're, you're really bringing this bad steak. And it lingers on her sitting outside of the room while they shoot the scene. And he carried that tension to another location that they were shooting at. And they, he says in a later thing near the end of the episode that um, they had a conversation in a car ride back to the hotel and that they talked it out. And his justification for everything, which just blew my fucking mind, he said, you know, I told her that I was sorry that I yelled at her and I told her that I snap at the people that I love. I'm seeing your look, Kiona, and I'm telling you right now, that is the same look that I had. I was actually editing a tuned up, which people are going to hear soon, and I had to stop everything the second I heard that. I was blown away. That is... That's something I'm going to say. That's so toxic. That, <laughs> that's unbelievable. And you mean to tell me, somebody who's willing to say that on camera, yeah. being candid, being honest... Somebody who said that honestly changed in that time? That is... It's doubtful. Despicable. Yeah, yeah. Very doubtful. Yeah. What we see on camera? What yeah. is he doing off camera? Most people who present themselves as being kind-hearted... Okay, I won't say most. I'll say some people who present themselves as being kind-hearted people who are, you know, just the most compassionate people on the planet. Usually that's not the case. 
usually that's done for PR or it's done to cultivate an image in the public. I feel like in a lot of ways, like critical thinking is being lost in the world today. And I feel like a lot of people just like, if you're a celebrity, they take you at face value that, that you're, you are who you present and that's not true. Yeah. Like even to a degree, like I'm, I'm not who I present to people when I'm online or when I'm even on these podcasts to a degree. I just think that people, people sort of take it for granted now that, that, you know, what these, what these guys are saying is true because I don't know, because of parasocial relationships, whatever, what have you. But I think that no one really thinks that like, maybe this person is not who they say they are. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know really what my point was. I was just no, kind of going off what, what you were saying about how everybody kind of treats this guy like he's some kind of, you know. Same. Yeah. I, I get it. And I'm, I'm totally sorry for bringing down the mood, but it's just, oh. I've been sitting on this wall I've been editing and while all the news has been coming out about Shane Dawson. And I just, I feel it's even more concerning and I kind of feel it coming to a head because on YouTube, the main platform the main goal of the platform was exactly what its slogan was, which was broadcast yourself. Mm-hmm. So it almost carries this expectation that when you're on YouTube, you're projecting exactly who you are to an audience. And no. people look at Shane, who is especially one of the original heads of YouTube. He was up there. He was one of the most, he was the most subscribed channel on yeah, I remember that. And people look at him and they think that's what he's like. That's him. And you know what? He's so genuine a person. And I'm not about to say that all YouTubers are like this, you know, not that all no. YouTubers are snakes because no. I know firsthand there are some people on the platform that are absolute fucking awesome people. Like mm-hmm. I said, Jenna Marbles, who was actually one of one of the sweetest people on the platform, one of my one of, one of the people that I've been talking to on some level through comments, but I I helped him out with a GoFundMe. Godzilla Mendoza, he's such a sweetheart on there. There are genuine, honest people on the platform, and that's why seeing somebody like Shane Dawson constantly being heaped with praise, given chance after chance, because He's such a nice guy. And finally getting to see past the Babe in the Woods act that he has, it is absolutely disgusting that he represents us as a, like, as a platform. As a YouTuber, I find it insulting. And this brings me to Not Cool, the movie, because this is kind of spoiling the point I want to make in that video, which... It's kind of a two-parter because I was going to do a second part in that series, Pipe Dreamers, on Demo Reel by Doug Walker. But I feel you get to see what Shane is about as a person philosophically in that movie. Because just like Doug Walker, he tries to make sympathy in the world around him. He tries to move on from his platform and try and do stuff that is, you know, real art. Something that you know, can definitely help him evolve as an artist. But artistically, rather than move past the gross-out humor and the, you you know, the the, the stupid gags and jokes and the constant need to be loud and obnoxious. Just for shock value. Mm -hmm. Rather than move past that, he hangs on it like a crutch. 
because that's what his fans would expect. He stars in the movie because that's what his fans would expect. That's what would bring them to the seats. He, you know, he's he maintaining makes it, a brand. He makes it a comedy because that's what his fans are used to. He does all of this because he's so stuck in that echo chamber that he is unwilling to take constructive criticism. He is unwilling to change fundamentally. And that clashes with the thesis of the film, which is ultimately about letting go of the past. And it says a lot about him as a person because he describes himself as an introvert. He doesn't go to parties. He doesn't go to any of these big gatherings. He mostly stays to himself. So how does he portray these, these big social gatherings in his film that he fought to get a co-writing credit, even though he just talked to the writer and said, hey, can you do these things for me? Oh, yeah, sure. You know what? Since I suggested those things, I should be the co-writer. Fuck off. Um, how does he choose to portray these things? He portrays them as loud, just bordellos of sin, where all anybody can think of is getting drunk, getting fucked up on drugs, or getting fucked, or just spewing vomit or shit everywhere. And he views genuine emotion as someone who is willing to put up with that shit and look past the quote-unquote superficiality of social gatherings. It clashes with the idea that you move past your negativity of the past to find positivity in the future. It is essentially Shane Dawson saying, you know what, looking at all these disgusting things, you're right to feel the way you are. And comedy is broad. Comedy is you're able to take the ridiculous and make something funny out of it, even if it's a joke for shock value. Mm -hmm. But when it is overwhelming, you almost can't help but take it at face value. It is like if Tom Green did a fucking John Hughes movie by way of Freddy Got Finger. It is absolutely abhorrent, and it is probably taking over Cool World as probably the worst movie I've ever seen in my fucking life because when i watch it i see nothing but the shittiness of shane dawson i see darkness in this movie's eyes black eyes like a doll's eyes and that's all i can say just fuck shane dawson and fuck not cool and you know what i want to make this plea out there to all the listeners on you on spotify on wherever you're watching you're listening to this which hey we're on spotify now um yes we are if you get a chance, dear listeners, please go support Anna Martimucci and go watch her version of the film because the challenge of the of the the chair was that both Shane Dawson and Anna were given the same script and were tasked with reshaping it to their vision and making the movie their way. So like they had to keep the same characters, same tone, same structure, mm-hmm. but turn it into their fundamentally different film. Go online, go to Amazon or iTunes or wherever, and go watch Anna's version of Not Cool called Holidaysburg. It stars Rachel Keller, pre-Fargo, pre-Legion. And you know what? I haven't seen it myself, but that poor woman got railroaded by the popularity of Shane Dawson. She lost the competition solely because Shane Dawson had a, a subscriber base of 2 million people at the time. And he was able to use that audience to watch his movie. And while he had to warn them not to cheat, of course they were going to cheat for him because they know him over her. A genuine 
humble talent that was trying their best to break into the film industry. Fuck Shane Dawson. I am so sorry. I am really sorry for taking up this last bit of just uh, to, to be on a soapbox. Uh, Jacob, are you okay? You haven't said anything. Okay, I, I've, I've kind of zoned out of this. I just kind of like um, <laughs> surfed up for other stuff, you know, because I really don't have anything to add about this Shane Dawson um, debacle. Fuck me. I don't think I've been this angry ever. I gave well, Ernie Klein a pass over this guy. Yeah. Huh. <sighs> so... Is that is that it? You're finished. You let it all out. Sure. Yeah. I'm I'm done. Until you guys see the video, which won't be for a while. But um, I've gotten as much out as I can right now. Just holy fuck. Okay. This is definitely oh. going to be an adult-rated podcast. We'll we'll do another. We'll you know one day we'll do another uh, mental health podcast, and then we can do more rants. I am so sorry. I brought the mood down. I. You're cool, man. Hey, you know what? You know what I also want to say is um, I feel like one of the things that I did want to bring up before we close out is um, that, by the way, you know, you know that little game, that one little game that we mentioned earlier that's called The Last of Us 2? You know that little game? I think I've heard of it. I, I think know, it's the one that, on the Vita. The one that everybody hates online? You know that one? Yeah. 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 Guess how many units it sold? Four million. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is the highest selling PlayStation game ever. The highest selling PlayStation 4 game ever. Yeah, yeah. At launch. So I watched this uh, this um, spoiler cast that they had with Neil Druckmann and Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker, where the two actors, the two lead actors in the game, as well as Neil Druckmann, the, um, the uh, director of the game. And he said he's been getting anti-Semitic comments, mm. which I'm frankly not shocked by, given the... <sighs> given the, the part of the fandom that is mobilizing against this game. And sure. also that Laura Bailey, the voice actress who plays Abby, has been getting um, like, like some terrible comments sent her way as well, just because she plays Abby. And, and Laura Bailey, who has been featured in so many games and so much anime and so many cartoons and stuff. I mean, she's a, she's a very talented voice actress. So it just... It it just makes me feel profoundly sad that people spend their time just making like vile comments at yeah. people for fictitious roles and for a video game, you know? Like if you don't like it, just don't play it. Just don't play it. Like seriously, this this isn't rocket science, guys. There are more important things in this world, you know, the world's on fire and we're arguing about a video game and we're sending anti Semitic comments and and all that sort of stuff to, to like people who just work jobs for a living and are just doing their jobs, you know, like we don't, we don't need that. They, they, they get angry at the man that make the game go beep beep and kill dogs. <sighs> Ridiculous. I really am. Anyway. All right, guys. I think that is about it for this one. Sorry. We ended on such a, a, a solemn note here, but I I'm, I'm so sorry, listeners. It's okay. Oh. Um, anyways, uh, we got some good lineups coming up. We got a bunch of tuned-ups that are coming. We also have um, some some of the lost episodes because we were having audio issues. Um, so we have a couple of episodes that we sort of, that sort of got lost in translation that we are trying to put back up, and that should be coming within hopefully the week or two. 
And we also have the Renegade Arcade spoiler cast for Last of Us 2 that's going to be coming up. I also have a review, a spoiler review and analysis that is that spoils the, the whole thing. So, you know, I'm going to wait a while before I post that, but it's pretty much done. Um, and, of course, Josh, you have your your video content coming up, which I definitely want you to, po- to post on the site as well. I keep procrastinating on posting a <laughs> press start uh, how Spielberg re- reimagined Ready Player One on the on, on the website. I just was I a proofread. Jacob, the proofreader. And I, and I also proofread um, Kiona's review. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Help me out today. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob, for that. No problemo. So, you know, be kind to each other, guys. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Like, you know, be nice to each other. Be safe out there. Wear a mask and wash your hands. Please. Please. It's it's not an attack on your patriotism. It is simply being well and being considerate of others. And, you know, otherwise we're all going to be locked down again. We already can't drink booze, so let's not lock ourselves down again, please. At least in Florida, you can't drink booze now. Can't go out to the bars. And anyway, guys. All right. So, where can we find you guys, Jacob? Let's start with you. You can find me on Facebook. My last name, my full name is Jacob Crable, K R E H B I E L. And I'm also a, a writer for Renegade Pop Culture. And you can also find me on the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group. Awesome. And Josh and Crystal, go ahead. Well, you can find me at simply underscore ragu816 on Twitter. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook under my name, Crystal Gillum, on the Renegade Pop Culture pod, uh, group. And that's about it for me. You can also use that same uh, Twitter handle to find her on TikTok. Shut up. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find me at Twitter at JSH Lozano. Uh, Crystal recently tagged me in a post of Quote of the Day involving my nips. That's all on her. And so, Wait, no, stop. My nips are sacred. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you, can, you can find me at YouTube at JoshBoy64, where I do video essays now, I guess, and what have you. Yeah, Which, you kind of do. You know what? I'm not opposed to that. If that's my new brand, I'm cool with that. And hopefully I could start doing some short films once, you know, people start wearing masks and we can start getting the virus in check. There's a short that I sent a few people that I'm pretty sure you guys will love. Um, you can find me in the Renegade Pop Culture group in Facebook. I am smiling at the camera like a Mexican blend of George Clooney and Gabriel Iglesias. You wish. <laughs> Gabriel Iglesias? That uh, seems about right. Well, I'm still it's not like I said Gabriel Luna. Or Diego Luna, whichever Luna, and yeah, you can you you can also find me on the podcast whenever I edit some of these things under the name Kawaii Kyle. That name is not exclusive, and it's probably not going to stick. <laughs> I do add it in the little about section. So, oh my god, you did? I did. I totally did. Yeah. Oh my god, he's sticking. <laughs> um. All right, and so. So guys, I want to say thank you to my two co-hosts, um, to my three co-hosts, sorry, three co-hosts. I can't see one of you, so that's why my eyes played a trick on me. Um, but Jacob, Josh, Crystal, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast with me. Um, oh, it's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, so we're going to just go ahead and keep moving forward with Renegade Pop Culture. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. There's an official Renegade Pop Culture page. It's at Ren Pop Culture. 
and on on both sites and um also on anchor.fm you can find us there that is our podcast host and they also have links to spotify also if you guys do like our content you can uh support us month to month if you wish you can just you know if you if you have an extra dollar or something and you want to support uh what we do here you can go ahead and do that um if not that's perfectly okay just you know listen to us and hopefully you like what you hear and hopefully you can share it with your friends and um just keep it going guys you know we are we're seeing some momentum on the site and you know i just i i have to say just you know god bless you all you know and uh Keep on keeping on. I know it's rough times right now, but oh yeah, you can find me on Twitter also at Kiona Tang. That's K K E O N A T A N G, um, and you can also find me on Instagram at Neoplasmic Twenty Four. And that's basically it, guys. We will see you next time, probably for a tuned up, and then hopefully a Renegade Arcade whenever Tony finishes Last of Us Two. And then Streaming Wars is also coming up. So Jacob, that's your show. So awesome! Yeah, I look it. forward to it. Yeah. Jinx on me, soda. <laughs> All right, guys. So we will see you guys next time. Peace out, Renegades. See ya. Later. Bye.